I want to share <clears throat> as I begin. Uh, there are so many things my mind is filled with um, thoughts, and I'm pregnant with all kinds of uh, ideas and possibilities what can happen this year. But as we get into uh, this message, I want to say if if it sounds like it's all over the place, it might be. <laughs> <laughs> because it's hard to, it's just hard to get your head wrapped around all that God is doing. So there's a lot I want to share with you as we start the year. And as I do so, I want to finish up with the fact that we've just gone through a, a, a season to welcome the Savior. And we've, we've opened our hearts, we've, we've known those things. And yet, I'm reminded of uh, Martin Marty, a, a professor in the University of Chicago, I said something as a young Christian I heard, and I thought, I don't like that. He says, if you're part of the Christian movement, you go to church, you sing the songs, you watch the Christian movies, you go to Christian theme parks, you read Christian books. If you're part of that Red Book conference movement, you do, you do the things that Christians do. But if you're not part of it, makes no difference. And he just kind of relegated us to the margin. If you're part of the Christian, Christian community, don't worry about it because they're not some people you have to deal with. And I always thought that for a lot of people, uh, they don't talk about their faith in a way that really is attractive. I shared with the Sunday School this morning that I was... 19 years old before I became a Christian. And I also remember thinking, I never heard anybody anywhere in my 19 years of life tell me the story of Christ. Been in church five times, three were for weddings before I was 19, but I knew no Christian friend who would talk to me about Jesus Christ in a personal way. And therefore I grew up thinking that there were normal people and then there were religious people. And I didn't want to be part of them because they were do-do-do-do-do-do-do-do. They're a different world. Well, as we get into the story uh, that we're, we're in, we welcome a Savior. And so Luke, in the book of Acts, we started last fall, and we went through the process where this Messiah had come and was doing a work in Jerusalem. And we talked about that first nine chapters, eight chapters, where where God was doing a movement in the people of God to move them through the Old Testament to realize the Messiah was here and then to move them out. And that's where, right in the middle of the story. And we're going to jump back into the book of Acts next week. But there is a story to be told here on two levels. It's his story and your story. But as we get into the story... The thing about this year, 2020, uh, how many times will you tell your story this year? How many times did you tell it last year? Well, there's lots of things that are coming up, and so I get really excited about this. But I wanted to, to, to organize my thoughts around four points, and we'll get enough interested, and in, you'll want to throw a shoe at me. To say, don't stop there. I want to hear more about that, but I'm going to go on. But the four points are these. We want to look at this mission, the mission and the message of the story. What's God doing on earth for heaven's sake? What's God doing in your life for heaven's sake? 
then we're going to look at the meaning and look at the, the relevance. Why is that important? Why follow Christ? You have to have a reason why you tell people. There's got to be some motivation that you've got. And that's the third part. We'll look into why do certain people want to talk about Christ and other people are scared to death to talk about Christ. And we'll look at ministry and methods in a way that you may not have seen before because I'm out to change the way you think about missions. I'm out to change the way you think about ministry. And here in Chesterland Baptist, I'll tell you right now, it's going to be through relationships, not through education, not through programs, not through marketing. It'll be through how you enter into your world and tell your story. Well, that's a whole other framework that's going to happen in 2020. But as you begin, as you begin the year, a passage that everybody quotes is Jeremiah 29:11. Anybody know that one? Oh, you guys know it. For I know the plans that I have, the plans for welfare or prosperity, depending upon which version, the plans to prosper you and not to harm you, and plans to give you a future and a hope. And that's often quoted when you think about people making career choices or making weddings or, 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 or planning for the future. But I want to tell you, that's not what this is saying. I want to share with you as we get into the, the passage. When you think about what that message means, what, what is God after? We're going to look at the first point, the message and the mission. Uh, what God wants to do is to mobilize, get people's feet shod with the gospel, so that when they move, they go out and they proclaim peace on earth. The kingdom has come. There's something that heaven has broken through the cosmos and right into the human heart, into my heart, and to yours. But the message, the message was a simple message. Follow me. Follow me. Keep in step with me. If you walk with me, you won't walk in darkness. But if you walk with me, follow me. Stay with me. And then made master trainer. Jesus Christ, who knew exactly what he was doing. And those men were told to go into all the nations, and they did. So let me ask you this question, if you've seen it down on the marquee in the basement, uh, in the foyer. Uh, we're going to be thinking about missions this year. And we, we started last year with Go Tell It on the Mountain. I want you to go tell it. But here's the question, where has that message gone and here's the question. How many know, know what the 1040 window is? Anybody here? Uh, if you are in missions, this is something that the missiologists use to understand something about missions today. But this is where the message is going. The 1040 window is called 1040 because it's the, the 10th and the 40th parallel around the, uh, on the on the around the earth, and those nations, you see them, <clears throat> you can see them blocked out, better to see it this way, of the 55 least evangelized countries, you'll see there <clears throat> that 97% of the population lives in the 1041 month ago about the E2 culture, the E parallel, and this is what I talked about about a month ago, about the E2 culture, the E3 culture. They're not, they don't have the same language, the same mindset, the same frame, same religion. These are hard cultures to reach. Notice that Japan is in that. Japan is a graveyard of religion, 
religious work. It's very difficult to work in Japan. That's another pot of coffee. But two-thirds of the world's populations, two-thirds of the wor world lives more than 4.4 billion people in that 1040 window. And what it means is that 90% of people in this window have never heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They've never heard it once. When I was in uh, Colombia, South America, I went up to a, a mountain uh, to visit a British missionary. He was a six-foot-four, tall, red-haired, white-skinned Brit <laughs> with a red beard and and he was working among the Guambiano Indians. Small, small folks, dark skin, totally radical. And I took him a box of cookies. I, I went up to find them. We were all smaller than I was. But I had never been around these people. And the, and the Guambianos was a different group. That All the men, see, all the men had black skirts. And they had a blue jacket on the top. All the women had a black jacket on the top and blue skirts. And I remember the women had beads and they had so many beads that the more beads you had was their way of establishing status in their society. The women had beads. The men had shoes. Women didn't have shoes. But the shoes didn't have shoestrings. And in that bus, they all gathered around me. And they looked at me. They stared at me. They, I, mean, they, I, I mean, we're in the bus and, and people were coming up and going, right at you and they wouldn't they would just fixate and the reason why they would fixate was because they had never seen a man with blue eyes ever you have blue eyes oh you have blue eyes I thought in the middle of nowhere in the middle of nowhere there were Jehovah Witnesses to find that missionary, and I couldn't find him, and I had this people out there reaching the lost. I went up to find that missionary, and I couldn't find him, and I had this cookie tin. I said, I want to give this to this missionary, but I went and met this couple, John and Mary, Juan and Maria, and they couldn't speak English, of course, and they could barely speak Spanish. They didn't speak Spanish. They spoke Guambiano. And so I tried to get through, I mean, there was an overlap to and I began to ask them about uh, this missionary, and they said no. And then we got into a conversation about Jesus Christ. I said, do you know, have you guys heard of, is there a, is there a place around here that worships Jesus Christ? Well, we got through the worship kind of thing, church, you know, Jesus Christ. Have you heard of Jesus Christ? Oh, yeah, Jesus Christ, yeah, Jesus. That's a new soap detergent. I've heard that advertisement. Soap detergent. They had never heard the name of Jesus. In the 1040 window, people don't know the name of Jesus. They've never heard it once, let alone the story. Well, how is God going to work there in the place that doesn't know? Well, God does work and is working there, which is another pot of coffee which we could get into. But the, how he works there is the same question. How does he work here in Chesterland? The question's bigger, how does God work? And what does God do? And how he does it in different contexts and different scenarios. Well, we learned through Christmas that, that the, the voice of God goes throughout 
all creation through the stars. And the voice goes out to all the earth, to the ends of the world, beginning here. It goes out into your life. But what does that voice say? What is the message? What is the mission? What does the voice say? And what do you say when you have a chance? Now, okay, you guys know I want you to learn this, and I expect you to learn this. And so if you, uh, Molly, you're, you're free to be, you're excused from this the next exercise, so don't worry about it. The guests, you're here, you don't have to worry about it. But for the rest of you, I'm going to give you a test. And you know the test. What's a biblical church? What does a church have to know, in my mind, my thinking, to be a mature, fruitful, growing, healthy church? There are five things. What are they? What's the first one, Reverend? You got two. You're working on it. I'm going to get, I, make, I want you to know this. I, I would give $1,000 away to each of these. These are so powerful, so powerful that if you don't know them, you're not mature. You're not mature, spiritually mature, to be involved in anything beyond just learning. You're in a discipling mode. What are the five? First is Christ, yeah. Christ-centered. It means that if you're healthy, you're focused on Jesus Christ. Your relationship with Christ is everything. And then the second thing is, which means God has spoken. And the, what God's voice has said is the authority, is the revelation. You would not know the Lord without the Lord sharing himself with you. He's a communicator. That's why the Holy Spirit uses the word. What's the third one? And that message are, is our mission, to follow Christ, to make him known, to know that when you follow Christ, you learn things about the gospel that you would never hear in the therapist's office. You're mine. This one is born in Zion. I'm going to bless the socks off of you. And because you have forgiveness, you have the kingdom resources, you have so many things. The redemptive story, God has bought you completely so that when you die, you don't have to worry about going to heaven because you've received Christ. And that blood, and we've talked about the forgiveness of sins is yours. It, it's all there in the, in the gospel story. But it's not enough. There's more. What's the next one? It means that the message is taking hold in your heart in such a way that there's got to be radical change in your spirit. In such a way that you're not just an institutional church. You're not just a, a formal, political, theological, doctrinal box. You're restored because the Lord has touched you in a personal way that that which you weren't, you can lay beside. And the old things are past and all things becomes new. The work of the Spirit of God is to restore the human heart. And yet often, as Jeremiah would say, they, they heal the wound of my people superficially, saying, peace, peace. But there is no peace. And as a non-believer, I often thought, and still think sometimes, that Christians have to pretend that God has done more for them than he actually has. 
I'll get into that in a minute. But the last one is what? And this is how God works. God works through the relationship. So the first three are his part. The last two involve us that we move into. We move into a movement with the Spirit of God that he's working among us that it's more than just head knowledge, a cognitive awareness, philosophical, intellectual. If that's where you are, that's where you are. It's your head, but it's got to include something else. And therefore, that passage that we miss is Jeremiah 29, 11. You know the plans I have for you. Well, what are those plans? We don't go a little further, but Jeremiah did. And so notice it says, I know the plans that I have for you. Are you getting on there? I'm punching it here. Maybe you're not getting up there. Um, you get that one? Maybe. So anyway, okay, I'll let Ryan get back there. So I know the plans I have for you, but notice the context. He says, this is what the Lord says. Get to the next one, Ryan. This isn't going down so fast. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you. God moves. And he will uh, fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this land. Israel had failed. Israel was faithless. Israel was not the one to be the obedient, trusting uh, and therefore they were discarded, they were uh, taken to Babylon and, and held captive. But he says, I know the plans I have for you, captive. I know the plans I have for you, failed one. I know the plans I have for you, faithless one. I know the plans I have for you that don't even care to think about me. That I, I put you in the exile. I know what I'm doing. I know the plans. Then you will come and call upon me. And you, and you will find me. You will pray to me and you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart and I will be found by you this is a sinner meeting the Savior this is the plan that he has for you that you know Christ in such an intimate way that you know him when you have failed when you know that you are weak and he comes to you and you pray. There is some other plan that God has got besides making you get your, your, your job promotion or your kids' health. There's other plans, and this is the plan. And this is what's going on in the book of Acts. Now let me go real quickly. In the book of Acts, you see that, that this ministry of the Holy Spirit is what God's coming and drawing people back to himself. And he's calling it the church. People are called out, and people who are called who are being touched and who are being restored, and they understand the revelation and the redemption, they're called God's people, and that's called a church. And in that church, the message takes on a meaning, and here's your meaning. The value and the truth of what the gospel says is just as valuable and true today as it was 2,000 years ago. But if you don't understand that, it's because something's going on. And there will be questions in the heart. You should have questions. You shouldn't be passive. You should be seeking the Lord and say, Lord, I don't know you. I don't know how the Holy Spirit works. I don't know how to pray. I don't know the word. You should be seeking Christ in 2020 in a way 
But you understand that a lot of people seek God in nature, and you see God's glory in nature, of course. And, and nature was to be the general revelation to, for all the world, even those in the 1020 window, 1040 window. And so with nature, you can study nature. You can look at science. You can look at reason. You can understand the world as creation because in the creation, the general revelation of God is known. But not with people. With people, you can look and study and not know people. Because as Proverbs would say, the plans in the heart of a man are like deep waters. We don't know ourselves because we've been separated from God because of our sin. We have been separated from ourselves because of our sin. And we're separated in our relationships because of our sin. And those are special. And therefore, you and I both need special, special revelation. Not general knowledge, but knowledge where the Lord comes to you and speaks to you and shows you your heart. This is the special knowledge, and this is the work that when you read the Bible, the Bible is going to open up who God is, and it's going to open up who you are. And in that connection, God's going to meet with you, and the Spirit of God will testify to your spirit. Therefore, you have objective knowledge, and you have personal knowledge. And both come together through the Holy Spirit. And that Spirit is uh, what John Owen would talk about. Now, if you haven't heard of John Owen, boy, you're missing something. Because he clarifies for us, it gives me an understanding why Christians don't seem to be so motivated sometimes to be following Christ. And John would talk about these two things. He talked about the union of Christ, and then he would separate and talk about the communion with Christ. And they're not the same thing. The union with Christ means our position is how God sees us as his people. We are saved by the blood of Christ, historically given on the cross 2,000 years ago. We are justified legally. Our accounts have been wiped clean. We are forgiven. And God sees us just as if we had never sinned in Christ. That's our position. He doesn't look at us as, us as sinners. He looks at us as saints, as sons. But the communion is different. The communion is your experience. It's not just the objective position, it's the subjective condition. Justification is by faith, but our communion is conditioned upon your response of faith, your response of obedience, your trusting, your learning, your walking with Christ. And therefore, as you, as you go into... Uh, the passage in Hebrews 12. In Hebrews, uh, let me jump down here. I hope I didn't miss that. In Hebrews, that's not the right one. In Hebrews 12, let me jump back up if I can find it. It's covered here. In Hebrews 12, it says, Let us uh, run that race with endurance, fixing our eyes upon Christ. I'll just go with this one. Uh, 
you can't see it. There's, I don't know where that bird came from. <laughs> but since we, are, since we are surrounded by... The Holy Spirit just entered in there. Since we have been surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, it says, you can't see it. Let us lay aside, let us lay aside everything that hinders us. Now that's the point. Let us lay aside that which hinders us, encumbers us, and the weight that, that uh, bur burdens us, that ensnares or entangles us. This idea of laying aside. How are you going to lay aside your sin apart from the Holy Spirit? Well, we'll try, but we don't know him that well to do that. But laying aside means that you actually lay hold of it, take it, and put it someplace else. The idea of put away, to, to uh, put in another place. Um, you can't get this one. We're going to get another pad here next week. Um, the idea that the word apothetomai is the same word for apothecary. It means that these medicines that would heal would quickly be destroyed unless they were stored in a place. And so they would put in the market, there would be a designated place for the medicines to be put aside. Well, the idea to put aside, to put in a place, just like those cloaks that were taken off when Saul was watching Stephen being killed, they laid a hold of the robes and laid the robes aside so they can kill Stephen. The idea to lay aside that with... Yeah, there it is. That with uh, Ephesians, we were told to lay aside the old self and put on the new self in Christ. And putting aside all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and slander. Well, there you go. There's things in the heart that are going on. Now, why does he say that? He says this to the Hebrews because notice what he says in Hebrews. And it's at chapter 12, he says you need to lay aside. But notice what went on before. If you're not paying attention to the communion that you have, your walk with Christ, what happened? Lose interest. And therefore, Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews chapter 2, it says, For this reason we must pay closer attention to what we have heard. Pay attention so that we do not drift away from it. And the Hebrews were beginning to drift away. It goes on to chapter 3. If you drift away, what happens? Doubt comes up. And when you have doubt, in Hebrews 3.11, take care. It says, uh, if you hear the Holy Spirit today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. When they provoked me, as in the day of the trial in the wilderness, they tried me. I was angry with them. And God does get angry with us. He doesn't not, he's not pleased when we go off and do our own thing and sin against him. But they end up with unbelief and doubt. Therefore, brethren, take care that there would not be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. People have fallen away. They've drifted away. But... 5.11, it goes on. This is a book of hard to... It says, concerning Jesus, we have much to say. But it's hard to explain to some people, the writer says, since you have become dull. Dull. You can't hear God. Your hearing aids aren't loud enough. 
You can't discern the voice of the Spirit. You are dull. That's different, different than being dead. Dead means you're not even open or alive to him. But dull means something's getting in the way. And the warning is, <clears throat> if you go into drifting mode, doubting mode, being dull, in uh, Hebrews 10, it says you will end up being destroyed. In 39, but we are not like those who shrink back to destruction, but we are those who have faith to the preserving of the soul. This preserving of the soul will prevent that destruction. But there are people who shrink back, who walk away from Christ. And why? Because in Hebrews 12, 24, the series continues, the pattern continues to grow. In 12, 25, it says, See to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking. For if those who did not escape when they refused him were warned them on earth, how much less shall we escape who turn away from him? Well, here's the point. You can have union, but communion, this relationship that's alive with Christ, if you're not walking with Christ or listening to Christ, then you'll miss. And this is what I want you to hear. See if we can get the next part. You'll miss the next part. Those who do deal with the sin on the inside, who do deal with those things that are troubling on the inside, they pay attention. Hebrews 2.1 Therefore we must pay closer, closer, closer attention. By paying closer attention, then we listen to that word, but we're attending, we're active. And then it says in 2.9, <clears throat> if you're listening, then you'll understand that we do see him who was made a little lower than the angels, namely Jesus. We do see him. We get it. We know. We know him. Consider Jesus, the apostle and the high priest. So as we understand who Jesus is and what he did, <clears throat> we understand that he's a high priest who understands our weaknesses. And he forgives us. Hebrews 4.11, he goes on to say, concerning him we have much to say. Oh, there's a richness. If you're, communion, if you're communing with God, if you're in communication and prayer, God wants to reveal himself so that you see Christ through the Spirit to understand the message, to understand the motivation of God. But there's much. But you won't be dull of hearing. You'll be delighted when you hear him because you're alive in Christ. And if you're alive in Christ, notice verse 6, 9. But beloved, we are convinced of better things concerning you and, comma, the things that accompany salvation. The things that accompany salvation. You see, many people think, if I just accept Jesus, he's my Savior, I'm going to heaven, my sins have been paid, I'm going home, I've got my ticket for the train, I'm going to jump on that I'm ready to go. And they missed the rest of it. So he goes on to say <clears throat> that if you understand all these things, that you'll make these connections. For God is not to unjust to forget your work and the love which you have shown towards his name. There's a work. There's a co-laboring that's going on. And then I'll just make this short. 
8 and 9, they talk about the covenant of God. And you understand the promises of God. You understand the depth of what he did and is doing through all the earth. And then you have confidence. Your confidence to approach the throne of grace, to move in relationship with him. But you're fixed your eyes on the author and the perfecter of faith. And as you know that, you know that you focus on his person. And you understand what he did on the cross, his work for us. And you understand the work that the Holy Spirit does in us. And you understand what the Holy Spirit does, his work through us. Powerful stuff. Powerful stuff. Well, I'm going to bring it to a close, doggone it. I knew I'd get this part. But you understand that, that his work is salvation, what he did for us. He bought yours in us. And in us, that's not all. The things that accompany that is the work that he does in us. And in us is that sanctification. And that sanctification will mean this. That you understand, as Paul would say in Romans 2, do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and his tolerance and his patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Do you know the kindness of God? Where will you know the kindness of God? When will you feel that most in your experience? Let me tell you where. It's when Christ looks at you in your sin and still delights in you. He loves you. And your sin is not going to stop him from loving you. And that kindness will break your heart. Because nobody looks at you in your sin with kindness. They will look at judgment. And therefore, as you listen to David talk, David would say, Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness in Psalm 51. And in the kindness of God, in Psalm 51, David met the grace of Christ. And as he would say, In my sin, my mother conceived me, but behold, you desired truth in the innermost being. Therefore, in the hidden part, you will make known to me wisdom. God works in the human heart to give you wisdom to deal with the things that are blocking you from knowing that kindness. And therefore, he says, uh, in Psalm 51, Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit and I will, then I will teach transgressors their way. Then I will teach. Then, because I know how God has dealt with me and my sin, the grace and the forgiveness, I know the Lord's touch. And with that, we move you can say, I know the Lord. I know God hasn't given up on me. I know God wants me more than I understand. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes in and we pray, search me, God. Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there are any hurtful ways in me. But lead me. That's the, that's the work of that's the motivation, that's the message. And as we go out, 
as we share our story, how God does that with you, and you share that with your relationships, then you have the ability to touch somebody else. Each one could reach one. Well, let me stop here, because I'll go till midnight. <laughs> but just let me say this. In 2020, the plans that God has for you, first of all, is to cleanse you, restore you, heal you from the inside out, to draw you into that kindness and grace. And the more you know him, the more you know him, your heart will be set free. And the more you're set free, you really are set free from the shame and the guilt, the fears, the things that burden you down. That's what the work of God does. He takes off those things and he draws you close. And then once you have that message, then you can pass it on. Well, we're going to talk about that. Give me uh, enough real estate to tell you about the three stories this week where I saw God using me to touch other people. What a wondrous thing, sobering thing, because he used my life. He'll use your life too this year. That's what I'm praying. Well, let's close in a word of prayer. And uh, we'll close. Father, I want to say thank you. Just thank you for the fact that you really are so much more. So much more. Open our eyes by the Spirit of God and draw us into that kindness that we might be a testimony for you. So, Lord, we would lay ourselves before you. Use our lives, whatever you want to do with them this year. But come and draw us back and make us fruitful. For Jesus' glory we pray, and for our growth we ask, in Christ's name, amen.